You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Friday, the 30th of September 2022. The time is 4:03 p.m., and you're listening to Daniel Zia and Imam Reza live from the Southland Studios of Voice of Islam. As is the norm, we have two topics for you um, this afternoon. The first topic that we shall be discussing is about um, parenting. So how do you you, um, interact with your children? Do you think a parent needs to be a role model? Do you think a parent needs to be a teacher? Do you think a parent needs to be a bit of both? So that's the discussion we shall be having um, first up. And then uh, from 5 p.m. onwards, we shall talk about Khilafat or uh, the need for Khilafat, the need for successorship, the need uh, for having a caliph um, in these modern times, the relevance uh, that uh, caliphate has, the system of caliphate uh, that God has instituted on earth, um, the relevance that has to modern times. So we shall talk about the true caliphate, that is the caliphate of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which has existed for over a hundred years. Uh, and that alone is its um, is the proof of um, its uh, truthfulness um, and its righteousness. So we shall talk about uh, Khilafat, but from uh, from an angle of um, uh, of who has the right uh, to be the caliph. Um, uh, does, uh, uh, in, in, in the past, in the early history of Islam, there was a discussion that only uh, a person from the tribe of the Holy Prophet, that is Quraysh, has the right to be a caliph. So we shall go into a little bit of uh, discussion around the history of it, um, and then we shall move on to um, discussing the need, the relevance, uh, and what it means um, for, um, for an Ahmadi, especially what it means for us all to have a caliphate uh, to have a caliph, to have a leader, to have somebody who inspires us uh, day in, day out, to have somebody we can look up to, um, to have a guide, to have a mentor, to have all of these um, uh, these things um, all rolled in one. So that's the, the discussion that we'll have. Uh, so very interesting discussion, as you can um, imagine, from 5 p.m. onwards. Right, so as promised, uh, the first discussion that... Uh, we um, we shall have is around parenting. So uh, we are we are going to be exploring the concept of gentle parenting in the show today. So the goal of gentle parenting is to raise, raise confident, independent, and happy children through empathy, respect, understanding, and by settling healthy boundaries. Traditional parenting styles focus on punishment and reward. When your child does something good or, or shows good behavior, you reward them. Um, you reward them with fun activities, treats, and positive feedback. Instead of focusing on punishment and reward, however, genital, sorry, gentle uh, parenting focuses on improving a child's self-awareness and understanding of their own behavior. In the Holy Quran, Surah Al-Furqan, Chapter 25, verse 75, Allah the Almighty states, And those who say, Our Lord, grant us of our wives and children the delight the delight of our eyes and make us a model for the righteous. This verse shows 
that God Almighty has repeatedly advised us in the Holy Quran that we must watch over our deeds if we wish to have righteous offsprings. In chapter 31, Allah says, And we have enjoined on man concerning his parents. His mother bears him in weakness upon weakness, and his weaning takes two years. Give thanks to me and to thy parents, unto me is the final return. Allah Almighty clearly links the rights owed to him to the rights owed to the parents in the Holy Quran. So studies have found that when parents resort to constant yelling or nagging, they typically end up feeling frustrated, angry, and then guilty afterwards. The kids in turn also feel frustrated and angry and sometimes continue to misbehave. Psychologists have found that positive parenting can promote child's confidence and provide them with the tools needed to make good choices. It also nurtures their self-esteem, creativity, belief in the future, and ability to get along with others. Research also shows that positive bonding between parents and children leads to children becoming happy, independent, and resilient adults. Research also suggests that imitation is an important learning mechanism, particularly for babies and toddlers. Your efforts to, to model empathy, respect, and understanding lay the foundation for your child's futures, child's future positive social skills. So that's the, the background to what we, um, we're going to be talking about today. Um, please do join in this discussion by calling us at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, we spoke earlier on this subject with Peter Gay uh, Henry, who is a parenting and etiquette coach um, based in, um, in North America. Let's listen in to what better had to say. So for today's interview, I have Olivia Edwards, who is a parenting coach who has over 14 years of experience in psychology, education and child development. She has also published two scientific papers, trained as a specialist in the early years and completed training in therapy. Assalamu alaikum, Olivia. Peace be on to you. How are you today? Hello, thank you so much for, for welcoming me. I'm very good today. Thank you. Very excited to share some um, information with you all and, and hopefully help some parents out there listening. That's great. Um, apart from what I have mentioned in your intro, could you just give us a little bit of insight into your background, either your daily life and what is it you do? Yeah, of course. So um, I know you mentioned that my background was in um, psychology and education. And that's just because for as long as I can remember, I've just been really fascinated with people and um, how people develop and the rapid rate that children can learn and grow. Yeah. So I've always wanted to just learn more about that, um, especially around the knowledge that as a parent, you can really support and influence your child. So when I then became a parent myself, I knew I needed to try and be the best parent I could be. I knew that early years were really valuable and, and really counted. So yeah. I 
wanted to explore that further. Um, and I never set out to have my own business, but when I became pregnant with my, my oldest child, I knew that I wanted to be there for her. So yeah. I needed a really flexible approach that would give me some freedom. So um, I looked at setting up my own business. And I also found that because of my background, um, and my knowledge other mum friends that I'd meet from groups and people that I knew would come to me quite often for advice so that's when my my business of being a parent coach was was kind of born um, and so I work that around my three children as well so it's a really great balance and it also means I can really understand it from people I work with perspective that I am a parent and I, yeah. I understand how that feels yeah. for sure yeah um, so from having studied psychology and with the experience that you have are you able to tell the difference in a development of a child depending on their upbringing? So, for example, today's topic is gentle parenting. So can you tell, would you be able to tell the difference between a child, child's upbringing, let's say, in the traditional way and a child's upbringing who has, you know, um, parents who have, uh, up, who have the upbringing of gentle parenting? Yeah, I think there's always going to be that debate about, you know, the nature versus nurture approach and how much of the way children and adults are um, as people is down to their environment and how much is down to their genetics. Um, I definitely think environment plays a big part. And there's lots of research to show that um, children who are related but brought up in different environments are different. And um, we all know that children are like sponges. So, you know, they yeah. soak everything in. So the things they're around, whether that's, language that's used, belief systems, um, how their parents' attitude is, they're going to obviously take that in. And that is going to shape to a degree their personality. So I don't know whether um, I'd be able to look at individual children and say, I know exactly how you were yeah. parent. But there are definitely things you can do as a gentle, positive parent that will positively yeah. influence your child when they grow up. Um, children are better able to learn in terms of their their brain being switched on and optimized for learning if they feel safe seen soothed and secure and a lot of gentle yeah. parenting is about providing that as a foundation so then they're able to soak in as much as possible in a way that you want them to um, by age five your your child's brain is 90 percent of the growth it would be at adulthood so you mm. can see how rapid that growth is in the oh, early years so if you can make a really conscious decision especially in that time but throughout childhood to really positively role model behaviors and attitudes that you would like your child to have um and treat them with the respect that you would like that is more likely yeah. to filter into their personality so they grow up to be happier um, and more successful and it's more about that attitude and behavior and the role modeling than it is say um wealth for example you know it, yeah. it becomes more about meeting the basic need of the child and it isn't that children who are surrounded with wealth and loads of opportunities are going to be happier as i'm sure lots of us know it's yeah. more about meeting that need of the individual so going back to what you said about children being sponges so with positive parenting would you say it has a positive effect on the child's behavior like as they go through school or something rather than like we always see how parents argue and have discussions in front of the children that they're not supposed to and children pick that up so do you think that plays a big role in their behavior going to bigger environments like school and 
like meeting yeah. other friends and stuff. Yeah, and with positive and gentle parenting, it's all about helping the child to feel really seen. And what I mean by that is supporting them with their emotions largely and the way they feel about things. So making sure that they feel validated because a lot of challenges around parenting can come from, you know, big explosions of emotion, let's say, and then their behavior as a result of that. And it isn't that the way they feel is an issue. You know, sometimes we have this problem in in society and and traditionally where we don't want children to get angry or sad. We want them to be happy all the time. Um, And that's not realistic. We know as adults, we experience a range of emotions and that's normal. Um, So actually it's quite healthy for a child to have a range of emotions like anger or sadness and to be able to process that. So we don't want them to feel, I can't be emotional because then they're going to suppress that emotion and and that's going to create problems later on. We want them to know they can let that all out. But then we want to use the role modeling and the support systems and the strategies to give them appropriate ways of letting that out. So if, like you mentioned, um, as adults, if we're having an argument and perhaps that argument that they're witnessing we're behaving in ways that actually we don't want our child to behave in yeah. then we're not role modeling to them effectively what to do with that emotion so it's constantly being aware of what's my child viewing and how is that actually teaching them how I'd like them to behave and the belief system I'd like them to have because everything they experience in childhood is setting up that narrative and that blueprint for how they're going to be growing up and as an adult so you know how they're going to form those relationships what their belief system is and and view Mm. on the world that's largely going to come down to that environment they're in which normally would fall mainly on the caregivers on the parents um so it's definitely about thinking okay how do I want my child to be as an older child as a young teenager as an adult Mm. and how can I um introduce strategies and role models them in a way that's effective um, and knowing that you don't have to be perfect I think yeah. said, you know it's okay if you do make mistakes you know if you do shout at your partner in front of them but what's important yeah. is saying to your child if they witness that oh I got angry and that was okay but I shouldn't have shouted and I'm sorry for that mm-hmm. I'm really role modeling how you can repair a situation so they know that there isn't a problem with a mistake as long as we learn from it um, rather than again just pretending it didn't happen you know being in denial or brushing it under the carpet because you're not teaching your child the skills to deal with mistakes or when they do something wrong which inevitably they will again because we're yeah. so you're giving them those tools for later on in life yeah yeah for sure um how are you able to apply the idea of gentle parenting with your own children so obviously you didn't just start off with you know the positive parenting side obviously it must have been difficult for you as well so how were you able to instill that into your own life yeah definitely so I've got um three children um they're quite close together in age so when I had my youngest they were all under four and so I definitely understand the pressure of of parenthood and juggling responsibilities and I think because of my background when I then became a parent I knew maybe more than the average person. So that was definitely a positive for me. Um, I I knew I wanted to learn even more because you can know all the knowledge there is in the world, but until you've experienced it, there's nothing that can quite prep you for that. Um, It's it's hard, you know, being a parent and how that makes you reflect on yourself. And, you know, you can 
start to neglect your needs and put your children first and then there's issues with that as well and you feel like you've lost this identity of who you were outside of being a parent so I had to work really hard to maintain that and to really understand that being a positive and gentle parent wasn't about letting me go and putting everything into them it was understanding that actually for me to be the best teacher and the best supporter and the best cheerleader for them I need to make sure I'm meeting my needs so I can then meet their needs too and not see that as being selfish and feeling guilt around that Um, so I work really hard to practice that and just have learned as much as I can around what a positive gentle parenting approach means and the real practical strategies and tools you can put in place to help with those everyday moments when a child's having a tantrum or you know they're clinging to you because they're having a bit of a wobble and you feel you've got no freedom you can't have any space or they're not sleeping um or if they're refusing to eat their dinner or you know you're trying to to get to school and they don't want to put their shoes on all those normal moments which we all experience I'm no different you know my children are normal children we have those moments but it's about understanding what's going on and knowing your child's trying to communicate something and that's where their behavior comes from it's not malicious or or they're not a bad child Mm -hmm. and when we can really understand that behavior and learn strategies and tools to remain calm ourselves. we can respond in a way that's going to meet their needs, it's going to meet your needs, and you can move through that whole process, that instant collaboratively, rather than it turning into, you know, shouting at each other, or yeah. struggle, or just a more negative experience that they're not really going to learn from, they're just going to feel disconnected to yeah. you. Whereas they probably w- wouldn't want to do that thing again, you know, exactly. like if, you, if you're telling them off or like shouting at them. Uh, yeah. yeah and then they just you, it just can just damage a relationship your trust might be more damaged so if you can move through it in a really connected way they're more likely to learn and you're all just going to feel better about the situation and be able to move forward yeah so as a parenting coach yourself I'm sure you've helped many many parents so what feedback do you receive from them like what difference do you see in the before and after of helping them so the feedback's always an amazing part of what I do because you, like you said, you can see how you help them. And sometimes it's not in ways you think it's going to be. Um, so I work with parents all over the world. And um, so feedback can be really, really vast. But the main um, feedback I get from parents actually is around perhaps how they felt quite um, reluctant or ashamed to access support initially and they felt mm. that that meant they'd failed as a parent so um, they were worried about that and very anxious about it but then once we start to work together because there's absolutely no judgment and I have so much compassion for parents again being a parent myself I totally get yeah. it um, they realize that actually being able to say okay I don't have these answers and I want to do better and be better so I need to look at support um, means it's taken a lot of strength and courage and it's not yeah. a weakness and then they've they've realized the value in that in that their whole world can be changed to be more positive um huge benefits around their relationship with their child so having that connection like I just mentioned so the relationship's yeah. really positive so you're not getting those constant power battles or the pushing of boundaries or the throwing and the kicking and the yeah. shouting that you're working together as a team as a whole family you know collaboratively and cooperatively so that children feel this deep sense of belonging because that can be one of the best buffers as well to change 
So of course, children are going to experience change in their life, transitions, you know, siblings, houses, schools. One of the best ways you can help them with that is for them to feel that safety and security. And a lot of that comes through them feeling a real sense of belonging and significance. Mm. And it can be easy to get distracted with life and responsibility and be really busy. And we forget that sometimes our child just needs that 10 minutes to be with us. So that as a reminder to parents and letting them know it's not about spending every hour of every day with your child. It's just about those interactions makes a really, really big difference. Um, I get quite a lot of feedback as well about how co-parenting. So if you've got two parents or two people working together to parent a child or, or children, that can be really hard sometimes because you've got different personalities perhaps you were parented in different ways or you have different belief systems and you're having to come together in a consistent and aligned way yeah it helps it probably helps their relationship as well because obviously one parent might have one way another parent has another way and then suddenly you have to come together and use the same way so I think it must it must strengthen their relationship as well definitely and they can have a mediator like myself so that it takes that uh, responsibility and blame away and it's more about being on the same page being a team and working together um it just feels so much nicer knowing that we're stronger together and we can move through this and exactly like you said it actually strengthens their relationship as a couple um, and as parents not just with the children too yeah um what would you say to those who think that parent gentle parenting is lazy parenting because from having done research myself for today's show um I found that a lot of parents think it's just lazy parenting but I think it's those who haven't even tried like the gentle parenting in the first place make these stereotypes so what would you like to say about that yeah and I think that's really common and so I'm not surprised you you've come across yeah. that and I think what we need to establish is the difference between a gentle and positive parenting approach and a permissive parenting approach. Yeah. So with a permissive parenting approach, you're kind of on the other end of the spectrum to quite an authoritative parenting approach. So mm. you probably would avoid conflict with your children and you kind of have this underlying fear that you don't want to upset them or rock the boat. So you, you say yes to things. Yeah. Um, and there tends to be a, a lack of boundaries with permissive parenting. And some people think the gentle positive parenting approach is that, um, but they're very different. So with a gentle and positive parenting approach, you do have boundaries, but the boundaries are put in place with love and with empathy and for the safety of the child. So as a parent, you're going to set the limit because you're going to understand what they need to keep them safe but the difference is within that boundary you're able to give your child some elements of control and power so that they feel they've got a say in things so they feel and they're going to learn then too whereas if you're constantly putting the boundary in place your child's never going to learn about self-control or risk-taking or what their um body's telling them because they're constantly being overridden so the gentle and positive parenting approach I would argue actually is the complete opposite of lazy and it takes a lot more commitment and dedication because it's it's forcing you to make conscious decisions you know it's forcing you to think about who you are as a person and quite often we don't get the opportunity to go back to our childhoods and you know have have therapy or do this healing and then we can become parents and it can open this whole kind of worms that we've never dealt with and gentle and positive parenting forces you in a way to deal with that to reflect on it and to really understand 
okay, I'm getting really triggered by this behavior in my child and this is why, and I need support in working through this yeah. rather than responding with emotion in that moment and then the whole situation. It probably it makes the parents stop and think before they actually act, you yeah. know, how they, if, a, if their child is playing up or something, then it makes you stop and think rather than just, you know, let your emotions out and go wild or whatever you know yeah and what can happen is because of um different parenting styles generationally and traditionally you know we just know more now there's a whole shift at the moment of parents who want to parent in a different way to the way they were parented and that takes a lot of strength what you're doing is you're consciously making a decision to step outside of what your blueprint of parenting is so that when you're in that moment that you know it could feel very stressful because your child's screaming at you or something's happening and there's people there and you feel they're watching you and and judging you the easiest thing to do is respond from your emotion and to default back into that style of parenting that you experience the harder thing to do is to stop and to reflect and to think okay everything in me is telling me to respond in this way whether that's you know shouting back or grabbing your child and moving them or whatever actually, I want to respond in a really gentle and positive way. So you're having to have self-discipline, self-control yeah. to really put the effort into understanding that the foundations you're laying now are going to support your child for the rest of their life. And you're also yeah. making yourself a better person. And so that does take that hard work and commitment. So when people say it's lazy, I would actually argue it's the complete opposite. Yeah. It does require that, that real motivation um, from you to make it successful. Mm, yeah definitely um lastly um how can people find more about uh, how can people find more about you and what you do and how can they come to you for help yeah so I've got a website so you can look me up online it's www.thepositiveparentcoach.co.uk um there's a whole range of information on there I've got blog posts if you just want to have a read of those um you can contact me for services um I do one-to-one coaching with people i've got a program and an online self-study course and i also have on facebook and instagram so if you're a social media person you can find me there by searching the positive parent coach uk and if you're looking for um an online group of parents where you have like a community feel it's free there's loads of support and advice in there Um, i do have a facebook group if you just search raising positive people you'll see my picture on there um, and you can access that as i say there's no charge for that it's a really wonderful supportive collaborative group and and you'd all be very welcome to join oh that's great well olivia thank you for your time Um, we're gonna have to leave it there Thanks a lot for your time and hope everything goes well in the future with your businesses and parenting as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening, everyone. All right. That was uh, Olivia Edwards, and uh, who's a parenting coach we spoke to earlier on. Uh, I do apologize. I think before the interview, we mentioned it was Peter Henry. And we will speak to um, Peta in just a little bit. But that was, as I said, Olivia Edwards. Now, we are asking you about this topic on Instagram, uh, about gentle parenting. Name three essential qualities a parent must have. So that's completely up to you. I mean, every parent out there who goes through that phase. I mean, when we have that child, when we have the firstborn Nobody actually is given a handbook. Nobody is given a manual how to how to raise your children. I think 
it's it's as we go along we learn how to 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 manage we learn how we learn uh, learn about our children how how they react to certain things and we learn about their nature we learn about their behavior and according to that we uh, we move on but as we are trying to give you a few tips here is what some of the benefits I mean just before uh, we spoke to uh, Olivia you heard about the stance that Daniel read out um, that you know studies have found out when parents when they when they're constantly yelling, when they're constantly nagging um, they, they, their, their children, when they're telling them, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that, they, they typically end up uh, feeling fr- frustrated and angry and, then of course, guilty themselves because then you resort to certain methods and, and, and means that you probably don't, you know, want or you probably don't want, you, you don't, you didn't mean afterwards. And then as a result of that, um, the kids themselves, the children themselves, may feel frustrated and angry, and then it's it's a continuous process, um, and then you know you have these misbehaving children at, at the end of the day. Now joining me here is uh, Brother Faiz Nasser. Faiz, assalamualaikum, jazakallah for joining us today. Waalaikum salam, jazakallah for having me. <coughs> I was just going to say that you know it's just like when you're work when you're at work yeah. and you're working under somebody yeah. and they constantly just tell you oh you've done this wrong yeah. or this yeah. is not how you do this why haven't you made why, why did you put an extra you know spoon of sugar in my tea etc <laughs> etc et uh, you know, pe- people just get frustrated things, yeah. and children they're so innocent they don't even actually know where to take that frustration out hence mm. the the scary part is that you know, the constant yelling, etc., can just become a part of them. And then later on in life, when they when they grow up, uh, you know, say, say for example, they, they're working on a team activity yeah. or they're doing something with other people, they forget their manners and they, you know, they forget how to behave or they don't know how to behave yeah. uh, in such circumstances. So they end, end up yelling at other children. And then, and at that time, it becomes too late to realize that, oh, uh, you know, they're only doing that because that's, how I have treated them or that's how we have treated them. So it's very, very important to, you know, teach and speak and behave with your children with utmost respect. Um, and the Holy Prophet ﷺ has mentioned that as well in, in a hadith that, uh, you know, respect your children uh, and that's the only way that they will learn how to respect other people in the society. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that I just had to scrape in and just sort of mention that because sure. it's very important. Absolutely. And um, now, one que- the question that we asked you on, uh, on Instagram about uh, naming three essential qualities a, parents, a parent must have slash should have. There's a few replies that we have received. Atiyah Bharti mentioned prayers, patience, and good character. I'm assuming that Atiyah meant here good, par- uh, good character of the parents, which reminds me of what His Holiness, Hazrat Mizam Masood Hamid, as well as, you know, the caliphs before him. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking about the second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mizam Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, who mentioned this in, in his book. But His Holiness, even recently in some of the, the speeches and the addresses that he delivered specifically to the youth or to, to the parents, meaning to, to the women's side at the annual convention, as well as, you know, other other occasions, he, he mentions this quite frequently which is, is you know, makes absolute sense that if you want certain things to to see in your children then who who is it that that your kids see on a daily basis do certain things 
It's mm-hmm. us as parents, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. So if they see that you know your parents are telling you to you know the example that he gives to to pray five times a day, you're as a Muslim, you're you required to pray. You're supposed to pray five times a day, but you'd never see as a child. You never see your parents pray. Right. All mm-hmm. they do is say that you should pray. Mm. What what kind of implications will that have? What are the chances of that child developing a relationship with prayer? What are the chances of that child actually becoming uh, someone who regularly does his prayers or her prayers? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, slim to none. Yeah. No, you know, recently I noticed at home is, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning yeah. and sometimes your wife is, um, she's just like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go downstairs and start preparing breakfast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, while while she's taken the kids, they've done all their brushing, you know, cleaning up, washing their face, etc. They've gone downstairs, and then you're like the last one in the room. You're like, okay, you know, it's my turn now. I'll go to the washroom, get ready, whatever, whatever. And then what I noticed is that sometimes my wife, because obviously I was in bed, and she's not gonna, you know, tidy up the room, yeah, the bedroom, yeah. while I'm in bed. Yeah. So I I started doing that just as a gesture to sort of say, you know what. It's you you're not, you're not the only one. Yeah. Uh, let me help you out yeah, with yeah. you know whatever I can. Because once I leave the house, then I'm out. Yeah. And then I'm then you're not going to see me till the end of the day, yeah. practically, right? Yeah. So I started doing these small things, just tidying up, um, putting the blanket over the bed, you know, tidying up the pillows, etc. And then my 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 son, he he, you know, sometimes your wife is like, uh, go get your dad. Tell your dad that the breakfast is ready. So he would come upstairs and say, "Oh, Baba, the breakfast is ready." And then he say, "Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing?" And then I'll be like, "Oh, I'm just tidying up." And he's like, "Oh, but that's that's ma- what Mama does, <laughs> right?" And I was like, "Yeah, but it's not Mama's job. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mama, Mama is not the only one who who should do it or who, who has to do it, right?" Huh. So the next time I I and this is this is a true story. I'm not making up. It's, it's, it's funny how much they copy you. It's yeah. funny how much they learn from you just on every, you know, every, you know, every moment of life. Yeah. So when I, once when I went to the washroom to get ready and, you know, I went to brush my teeth, whatever, whatever, I went back to my bedroom to to change. And then I saw my son actually just, you know, playing around with the pillowcases, uh, with the pillows. Mm. And uh, so I asked him, I knew what he was doing. I asked him, what are you doing? He said, oh, today I thought that, you know, maybe I'll just tidy up. Wow. Right? Yeah. So it's it's very important to think about what you say yeah. and what you do in front of your children. And His Holiness has given us a clear-cut example. And recently, just recently, like you mentioned, he, he said that uh, speech, you can stand and, you know, talk about something for hours and hours yeah. and hours, right? And... Uh, but to show a practical example of what you want to tell your children is 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 very difficult yeah. to do. Like you said with the prayers, if a child doesn't see you pray, yeah. then how is he going to know what prayer is, how to pray, you know, how to do vuzu, how to, you know, go wash yourself or clean yourself before you pray. Yeah. Whether you have to wear a um, um, a hat while you're praying, yeah. uh, where do you pray? Which direction do you? Pray? So all of these things, like like ex- ex- for example, I'll give you an example. In the Holy Quran, it says Akim Salat yeah. that observe your prayers, but nowhere it says that Fajr is at this time, Zohar is at this time, Asr yeah. is at this time. Right? We all find that from the practice of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and in the same way, uh, we you could tell your children that yeah, you have to pray five times a day, but 
until they see that practical yeah. example which comes from you they are not going to learn on how to do that it's when you mentioned how <clears throat> i i i don't if i if i think back i think i don't think that we showed our children how to pray no like actively okay this is how you stand and you do this and it's just because they observed and then luckily you know we were fortunate they copy you i mean when you when you're leading prayer yeah, at home yeah yeah uh, my son was you know my younger one is two and i've got like i've seen him many times like when my mom's praying or when my wife's praying or even when i'm praying on on my own or say we're doing a congregation at home they would act fine they were they were not fully they don't have the full understanding of what what is actually happening yeah. but when you go down in sajda they'll 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 copy that yeah. right when you do takbir they'll try to follow the words like for example i'll give you an example my elder son avab he i never sat down or my me my wife my mom none of us ever sat down to teach him surah fatiha yeah. just because over the, the first, covid period first, first chapter of the quran of the holy quran first uh, you know over the covid period when we, all of us were praying at home we you know by the grace of allah we we prayed all our prayers we observed all of our prayers in congregation mm. so he only learned surah fatiha and some it. of the other verses of the holy and, quran and, and just you, because if, you constantly and if you them. think back to your time as a kid yeah. isn't that how you learned some of the verses of the holy quran and some of the chapters yes yes and absolutely. i remember the same thing i mean long story short when when our parents or when when we used to go to the mosque and, and the imam read certain verses or certain parts of the holy quran which are quite frequent mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. uh, you have certain chapters that are short but you know they're they're recited on a regular basis mm-hmm. That's how we picked up those things. Exactly. But just by listening to them and that example. And you know the funny thing, let me tell you a funny thing. Sometimes when you hear these when when you hear these verses of the Holy Quran and you try to recite them in your own tune, you actually forget yeah. where you're coming from. Yeah. You know, so much so that you actually capture the whole rhythm, the tune in your mind to be able to recite those verses. I mean, it's just a point off guard, but I just felt like yeah. I should say it anyway. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that. Now, gentle parenting teaches that they can be active in the world, set their own boundaries, trust their own needs and make their voices heard. Now, it offers a framework for children to learn to assert themselves clearly, but also respectfully. Now, this parenting approach reduces their chances of being taken advantage of by bullying behavior, which then later on unfortunately in some cases, well, Uh, it is what it is they will maybe hopefully not but at one point face in their life in school but there's so many other benefits of, uh, as well of gentle parenting for example reduced anxiety improved parent child bond which we are all craving and we're trying to figure out how to bond with our children as well as positive skills social skills which we will talk about in a little bit more after we have spoken to our next guest with us on the line is a parenting and etiquette coach uh Peter Gay Henry good afternoon peace be upon you and welcome to the draft time show peter good afternoon thank you for having me thank you so much for joining us today now i want to ask you parenting and etiquette coach sounds simple but what is your role exactly what is it that you do so my role is to guide parents and any caregiver on their individual journey of parenting and caring for a child I help them through the process of recovering from their own childhood trauma, reparenting themselves as needed, and ultimately stepping forward into a more connected space um, and relationship with their children. I am the 
connection tour guide for any parent-child relationship. All right. Now, um, when we talk about gentle parenting, I mean, all the things that we've mentioned so far, looking at the stats, looking at the the, the, the pros and cons, well, mainly the, the pros, uh, it sounds quite straightforward. I mean, this is something that we can all envision uh, practicing at home with our children. But how hard do parents find it actually to take on this um, this this gentle parenting route? So that's a really great question. And if I could be really frank with you, sure. each parent's journey is completely different. Hmm. Um, you have parents that grew up exposed to a lot of trauma, hmm. um, parents who have experiences with abuse, narcissism, many other factors that would create a hard transition for some parents, right? Um, what it really comes down to, though, is their own conditioning, how willing they are to move away from that conditioning, how rooted they are in their previous beliefs, and how much they're willing to do the self-work, because that's the thing that maybe doesn't get talked about enough. Going down a path of gentle parenting, conscious parenting, or being a more positive parent it, does, it takes a lot of self-work. You have to work on yourself in order to start meeting your child where they're at. Mm. It also comes down to how determined they are as a parent to change the cycle of traditional parenting where it's more um, behaviorist in nature. Um, and I find that parents often go back and forth. And that's okay because you need to be somewhat forgiving of yourself yeah. and realize that you may not do it cold turkey. It's just daily modifications that will take you through the process. I also encourage, and I always say this to my parents, is that, you know, you're not perfect. You're a parent. Yeah. So I think consistency is also key where that's concerned. If I may ask, what, what, at what point do parents then come to you? I mean, is it early on when their, child's, uh, when, when, when their children are quite young, we're looking at, I don't know, preschool area, uh, time, um, age, or is it, you know, when when they realize, okay, at the age of, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, when, when it's <laughs> really, really getting out of control. I'm, I'm not even sure like if there's something, you know, you can measure that. I'm sure it's different for every single parent. But at what point do you think that um, parents come to this realization that, gosh, I might need some help here? Right, absolutely. And see that you're absolutely right. It is different for every parent. However, and, I, and I'll say, some of the newer parents, parents that are just becoming parents hmm. or has just became parents within recent years, they have a huge benefit, right? Because they can actually start out the journey this way. But then there are parents, like, for example, myself, I have a 16-year-old and I have an 8-year-old. Uh, I may not have realized it until my 16-year-old might have been 5, or I find that at any time in your journey that you decide to implement then there are going to be skill sets that you can learn. There are things that you can start implementing that will allow you to make that shift. It is ultimately going to be more beneficial if you start building that relationship early on because it's really a style of conver having conversations with your child. It's a relationship style. You know, that is the thing. It's not just like when your child says this, this is the way you should react. Yeah. It really comes down to the core and how you connect with the child. And so the earlier on you can do it, the better. But that's not to discourage folks that have children hmm. that are a little bit older. You can start and you could jump in at any time, um, really, that's going to help you to start changing the relationship. The moment you realize that parenting is just a relationship 
and that your child is a viable and equitable part of that relationship, right? Mm. It starts making it easier, and that is the perfect moment to start your journey towards conscious parenting. So when you say that you work with parents who who, who have gone through trauma, who had some sort of, um, you know, whatever history that uh, is in when, when they were younger, do you face any negativity when you try to promote gentle parenting or how much effort or how much work do you have to put into the parents first before you can move on to that parent-child relationship? Right. So most of the resistance that we meet are, are, are families that maybe believe that gentle parenting is the same as permissive parenting, hmm. which is just a little bit more willy-nilly, like you get to do whatever you want and the yeah. outcome really isn't the same. There are no boundaries there. There are no dis- you know, disciplinary um consequences involved and so you find that people will perceive that gentle parenting just means you're gentle all the time and though we take a gentle approach it doesn't mean that we don't enforce boundaries and that's where we find it to be the hardest right holding a boundary um, making a rule and they have to adhere to the rule and kind of holding it without using yelling or other restrictive methods Um, so we do find resistance from parents that just can't see their way to do it We also find resistance with parents that maybe has a very strong-willed child because then as they continue to try to approach the process, they're met with a lot of resistance. And what we try to teach them is to lean into that connection. Now, if you're not whole within yourself or you're not doing some self-work, it's going to be very hard to connect because most of the times you're going to, that's going to be triggering for you. Mm. If your child is not listening to you or like the traditional parents would say, obeying you, you, it could be very triggering. Um, there are times that you may have your child out and about and the child really has a meltdown and the traditional parenting would say you feel embarrassed. And if you're embarrassed, you need to embarrass the child mm. or you need to get that child in line. Now, Gentle parenting would take a more connection. It would be a connection approach. You would kind of figure out this meltdown means something is wrong. Let me get to the root of the issue and figure out exactly what that is and try to solve it. So you'll find that we'll lean in with some connection. We'll lean in with some resolution for the child. We'll help that child co-regulate. And so if most of some of the parents aren't able to regulate themselves yet, so then finding that place to co-regulate becomes really hard. So Hmm. They do have to do a lot of work on themselves. The beautiful part about it is they can do it in tandem. And within my program, they always understand. You give yourself grace. This is not the way you were raised oftentimes. And so you're going to make mistakes along the way. It's continuing the process and building that relationship that allows the child to see, well, my mom or dad um, is human. And they make mistakes and, you know, I see how they correct their mistakes, their natural consequences. So that's really what it, and, and yes, it's hard. You have to face your trauma and you have to realize that some of the things that your child does is triggering mm-hmm. and approaching it from that perspective. Most people don't like the light shone, shone on themselves, right? Yeah, they want to yeah. just kind of like push it towards the child. So yes, it's challenging for some parents. And and what difference do you then see in parents and families after you've helped them and after they have successfully managed to apply some of the things that y- you know you taught them? Right. So based on the same thing that we kind of just covered, and I know that my answer was pretty extensive, probably sure. longer than you hoped, right? So based on that fact, the fact that they do so much self-work and they do so much soul-searching and so much looking inward, the most powerful transformation that I've witnessed personally with the parents that I've worked with is self-love. 
They get more self-love. They give themselves more grace. They actually gain more organizational skills because things are not just chaotic every single day. Mm. And primarily, the biggest one that I find that most of my parents come back and they tell me, it's the connection with their children. And if they make this connection early on, the teenage years become so much different. There's so much connection there. Um, they develop the skills to build trust with their children. And as a mom, I can honestly attest that a huge part of our parenting worries is based around distrust and our, in ourselves and also in our children. And so what I find is that once you work on that trust factor, you really develop that closer relationship. And for the children, you know, we see a lot of changes in the children as well. That's huge. They start leaning more into their parent-child relationship. They're happier. They're more confident. They're more trusting in themselves and in their parents. And one of the key things, um, especially with it's 2022, right, is anxiety. So they have, they're less anxious on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis, and they always feel safe, like there's a safe place to land with their parents. And that's one of the, it's huge. And I think it's groundbreaking and I think it's revolutionary. No doubt, no doubt. Lastly there, I want to ask you, where can parents go if they want to find out more or if they want to get more parenting, uh, parenting advice uh, from, from you specifically? Oh, absolutely. So they could go to my Instagram page, which is PETA underscore LeCharme. That's P-E-T-A underscore L-E-C-H-A-R-M-E. Or they can go to my website, which is lecharmers.com. Wonderful. Peter Gate, uh, Henry uh, with us on the line, parenting and etiquette coach. Thank you very much for your time, Peter, and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much once again. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. We asked you on our Instagram story some of the essential qualities a parent must have. Uh, another reply that we received is patience. Patient, steadfast, and caring. Then believers of God said understanding, loving, caring. Another one it says patience, patience, and patience. And another one is empathy. And I think... Um, it's 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 a lot to do with patience, isn't it? Mm, it does. <laughs> when, when <laughs> you think you're patient, but then you become a parent, and that bar is raised to a whole different level. Mm. It's one of the most difficult things to do, even in your day to day life. Yeah. But it just has to be done. There is no way yeah, out. Yeah, I think I that's mean, you know, what it boils you, down you're to. You're going to be held accountable for, you know, for the future of your children by just, you know, behaving, speaking the way you do. Hmm. And, you know, we've already established how much they copy uh, us and how much they want to be like us or how much they pretend to be like us. It's just it's just absolutely scary. But the thing is that <coughs> if you if you if you patiently do something and uh, you use the power of prayer, yeah. then nothing is impossible. Right. Um, prayer is something that, you know, unites us with God. And if you pray for your children, uh, recently I was speaking to someone in MTA, uh, one of the directors, and he, uh, you know, I mentioned I was like, uh, you know, my kids are growing up, so what advice do you do you give as a parent? You know, you've been yeah. a parent for yeah. a long time, <coughs> um, and he said, look, I've never worried about my children like that, yeah. where I go like asking people for advice. Yeah, I just uh, I always speak to my children. So, for example, he, he gave me an example. Before one of his kids went to school, he, he said that I sat him down and I said, this is what 
I've been telling you all your life. Yeah. And this is what you're going to see in school. Yeah. Right. And from before the person, before the child even went to the school, he kind of had an idea on what to expect. Mm-hmm. And the father told him that this is what you need to stay away from. Yeah. And these are the evils of the society. These are the evils of the world. And this is something that you can focus or this is somewhere where you can spend your time or, you know, advise on uh, how he could, you know, find good friends or mm. good relationships within school that can sort of help him stay away from the evils. And then he said, the last thing I did is after doing this practical lecture or, you know, practical guide guidance, I just prayed to Allah the Almighty and I just left it to Allah. I think this is something that <coughs> we, we tend to neglect, specifically as Muslim parents. Um, you start... Your your child's life basically with the words of Allah in one one ear and then you know the qama in the in in the other ear, and if as you move along as you go and life basically plays its plays its role and when you go to school and and so on so many other things come into the whole equation, this this aspect you should you must never neglect. Yeah. And I think to to leave it to God Almighty, basically, as we find so many prayers in the Holy Quran, specifically on this topic as well, I think that's something that you, you need to focus on. And that's something that uh, some of our listeners have mentioned as well. Now, in chapter 17, verse 24, God Almighty of the Holy Quran, God Almighty states that thy Lord has commanded worship none but him. And show kindness to parents. If one of them attain old age with thee or both of them, never say unto them any word expressive or di- of disgust, nor reproach them, but always address them with excellent speech. So parents are the ones who have been with us through almost everything in our lives. That why we should you know be be devoted to them. Respecting parents is one of the most significant aspects in Islam. And I remember one thing that you've told me about. I think the that's just the the following verses after that. The yeah, point that, that you're about to mention. <laughs> <laughs> about uh, that prayer that we find in the Holy Quran, <laughs> that have mercy on them as they showed compassion when I was young. Uh, I I want you to repeat that you know whatever you said and that that, that, that concept. <laughs> no, if, basically, if you have, the, like, you know, long minutes. story short is that in this verse that you just recited. Uh, the word Rab has been has been used mm. and that word has been used for the parents yeah. but you know commercially the word Rab is actually used for God yeah. right uh, so the 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 point the met- metaphorical point here that we need to understand is that God has actually given parents the qualities of God mm. so it is the duty of those parents to now adopt those qualities of Allah yeah. you know he's merciful he's forgiving, forgiving he's yeah. he's loving he's caring he he helps you he's he's you know he covers up he covers up mm. so th- those qualities it's now our duty to adopt them as parents and sort of reflect them onto our children yeah. so if they make a mistake you forgive them if they if they if they've done something wrong you you know you don't just go out telling the whole world you just yeah, you yeah. know cover it up if uh, you know if they need something you're merciful to them you give it to them uh, you know you provide for them and mo- most of most of all uh, you know the you know i mean the best part of this is that how if you when you make a mistake how do you want yeah. god to treat yeah. you yeah. right you want him to be merciful to you you know we always are seeking the top 
top we have the top top request when it comes to Allah oh Allah forgive me oh Allah do this yeah. oh Allah won't do this again yeah. but just instead do you know have this favor upon me <laughs> yeah. but then when it comes to parents we become so strict no yeah, you can't yeah, do this yeah. you can't do that you you can't go there you can't see this person yeah, 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 whereas yeah. give them a chance and you know let them explore for themselves and then when they do make a mistake then you're the parent and that that's why Allah Taala has given this huge responsibility to parents and you know he's kind of said that you're also the rub yeah. for them in this situation wonderful and a friday sermon delivered on the 13th of december 2013 his holiness hazrat mizam sud ahmed the current caliph of the hamdi muslim community stated that in the nature of man allah the exalted has placed a tendency to copy others in our surroundings which manifests from childhood as it is part of the nature of man hence the tendency to copy others is in the nature of a child the tendency is certainly for our benefit but the wrong use sometimes leads to man's destruction or takes him towards destruction it is a consequence of this tendency to copy and be influenced by his environment that man learns a language from one's parents learns other deeds and good things which make a child a well-mannered person if the parents are virtuous observe the salat read and recite the holy quran live with each other in an atmosphere of love and affection and abhor falsehood then the children under the influence will adopt their virtues we're going to take a break here from you and then we'll be back after that talking about caliphate in the next half of the program don't go anywhere you're listening to the draft time show here on the voice of islam you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and welcome back to the Draft Time show here on the Voice of Islam today with myself Raza and brother Faiz. We are um moving on to sec- to the second topic for today, but if you have been following us in the first half of the program, we spoke about gentle parenting. Now that topic uh we're going to move on from but on our instagram story go to was some uk we're still asking you that question and you can uh, um have you you have till the end of the show today to name three essential qualities a parent must have so go to voice of some uk and uh leave us your comments but if you want to give us a call you can do so on 0208 6877878 you can also find us on twitter at voice of some uk as well as on other social media platforms now we came across an article in um one of the online platforms that says that only a quraish has the right um to or the superior or talks about the superior superiority of the quraish tribe um specifically in the islamic faith uh, and that's why we wanted to talk about that caliphate in general as well just for those of our listeners who don't know what it is what it means what it does because let's let's face it let's be frank about it there has been some very very negative um and biased reporting about this in the mainstream media and the question we're specifically asking is that is it only a quraish that has the right to become a caliph now quraish for those of you who don't know was one of the tribes 
um, present at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. I'm sure, Brother Faiz, you know a little bit more about this, but I think just v- briefly speaking, I think that's something we can we can probably say that it was one of the tribes at the time of the Holy Prophet. One of the biggest and, tribes. One of the biggest tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, at and the, the Holy Prophet mm-hmm. was even born into, he, into yes. the tribe. So I think that's probably the most important part. He belonged to, to, the tribe, to, yeah. to that tribe. Of Quraysh. Now, in chapter 24, verse 56, God Almighty states, Allah had promised to those among you who believe and do good works that he will surely make them successors in the earth as he made successors from among those who were before them. The topic of caliphate or the institution of caliphate or khilafat in that uh, uh, show, we will refer to it as khilafat or caliphate plays a very, very fundamental role in the history and the religion of Islam. The primary function of the Khalifa, meaning the, the Caliph, is to carry the message of the Prophet into the future without, of course, losing the spirit of the message. Because, simply put, as we you know just mentioned the verse of the Holy Quran from chapter 24, it literally means successor, mm-hmm. right? So if, um, you know, someone... Uh, claims to be a prophet and then after that he lives for a certain period of time mm-hmm. we're all human beings uh, it's a limited time that we have on this planet yep. and then to continue that mission uh, of that prophet you mm-hmm. will have successors mm-hmm. right it's quite straightforward uh, and this task of course is best accomplished when the community is united when the community is strong and the community cannot be united and strong without the institution of caliphate. Mm-hmm. Why do we say that? Um, if you look at the history of Islam, if you look at um, how the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came and how what he basically created, created in the sense, what I mean, that the teachings of Islam, his own example, his his practice, his sunnah, and the words that he left behind, what changes were caused in the people that saw him? What changes were created in the people that believed in him, who accepted him, and then who accepted Islam afterwards? Now, as I said, um, if you come, if you have a prophet, a prophet comes to sow the seed. Once the community develops, once the community is ready, once the community reaches a certain level of righteousness as it reaches a certain level of morality which we find that before the advent of a prophet is not the case clearly not the case once you reach that level of of uh, of, of development personal development moral development you know spiritual development mm-hmm. mainly then <clears throat> it is possible for them to have one of their own to be the leader mm-hmm. to be that successor of the prophet of that age. So it, it is also the responsibility of a caliph, of a khalifa, to reproach, of course, with the help of Allah, his followers, and to stay on the right path. And these are the blessings of, of khilafat, of caliphate, which gives that community the peace and the security of mind that they need to go into the future. However, some believe that the promise of successorship has only been made to, as you know, I mentioned at the beginning, the tribe of the Quraysh, meaning the tribe of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the tribe that was the biggest tribe, as we said in the beginning of the show, at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So today's show 
cutting, you know, leading up to this, we are going to uncover the purpose of of uh, of of Khilafat, of Caliphate, and figure out if caste, if the tribe, if the the family basically that you belong to has any place to determine whether you are the the you know, entitled to to a certain uh, position or whether you are uh, the only one that deserves to be uh, you know of of that title of that of that role of that position within Islam and specifically here about the role of khilafat or caliphate. So, what is Caliphate. Caliphate, as I mentioned, or Khilafat, is a spiritual institution that succeeds prophethood. It provides unity, it provides progress, righteousness, and security to the followers of a prophet. So the Caliph is a prophet's spiritual heir, his vicegerent or and, and subordinate. And he drive he derives his authority from his master prophet and as such becomes the central authority for his followers. With the blessed institution of Khilafat to guide it, the followers then have distinct sense of discipline and direction under one leader and a factor that enables them to serve God and humanity with sincerity and purpose and selfless devotion. The second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be pleased with him, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, he has said that a khalifa or a caliph has two primary objectives. One is to save the Jamaat from contamination, means to save the community from contamination of any kind. And second is to unite and direct the individual powers of all members under one leadership. The problem that we face in today's day and age is we've seen, if we go back a couple of, I think, two decades or so, you had the so-called Caliphate of ISIS, if you go back even further, you have the so-called caliphate of the, the, the Taliban's. But what exactly happened to them? Why did they not succeed? Well, if you look at the points that we've just mentioned, what the job and what the what the description, what the what the work of a prophet of a of a caliph entails, then first of all, you will see that the basis of that caliphate was not established, meaning there was no prophet at the age uh, of the age. There was no prophet who said that, okay, I have been commissioned by God Almighty, this is my job, and after I've done whatever I needed to do, this will be then followed by the spiritual successorship. So all of a sudden, it's it's like saying, what would be a good example of that? If you, if you all of a sudden, you just have uh, a, a teacher without a head. You know, if there's a school without a head teacher, you just have teachers. There has to be a centralized system. There has to be a guidance that trickles down to that caliph of or or that successor. But the word itself, khalifa or successor, cannot be established if you don't. What what are you succeeding? Mm-hmm. You don't have anyone or anything to succeed. So technically speaking, it doesn't make any sense. Apart from that, I think it's what 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 that caliph is supposed to do. When we look at this chapter um, twenty four verse fifty six. God Almighty had promised to those among you who believed and do good works that he will surely make them successors in the earth as he made successors from among those who were before them. So moving on from that, I think if we look at the next verse of or the next part of that verse, 
we're going to get to that in just a little bit, that actually talks about what that role of a caliph actually is. So it is also the responsibility of the of the Khalifa or the Caliph to admonish his followers, of course, with the help of, of God Almighty, to stay on the right path. And these are the blessings of Khilafat which give us peace and security of mind. So in that second part of that verse, chapter 24, verse 56, it says, and that he will surely establish for them their religion, which he has chosen for them, meaning which God has chosen for them, and that he will surely give them in exchange security and peace after their fear. During the course of the program, we're going to talk about or we're going to discuss two examples of Khilafat, of Caliphate. Firstly, the Caliphate after the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. How did that happen? What what exactly happened during that time? How did that start? Etc. Etc. So if you want to have your say, if you have any questions on this part, regarding this topic, then by all means do give us a call 0208687-7878. You can also send us a tweet at Voice of Islam UK and of course on Instagram as well. Don't forget, we're still asking you that question on our Instagram story. But the advice. No, I was just thinking while you were speaking or while you were just, you know, talking about Khilafat. You you mentioned ISIS and you mentioned the Taliban before that. Yeah. And in this verse we can see that they will surely give them in exchange security and peace mm. right the khulafa that are supposed to come first of all like you said they're not succeeding anyone yeah. so how, where did that khilafat come from point number one point number two if isis and taliban are claiming to be khalifas or you know caliphate then what sort of peace did they bring to their followers or to the whole world yeah, yeah. i mean they just brought chaos to the whole world right they 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 made everyone panic. All the nations, all the people, people mm. who were not people, so much so that people in the whole world started fearing Muslims. Yeah. So anyone who had a who had a topi and a and and and, and a big beard, people would fear uh-huh, them. Yeah. And that is still going on till today, right? So what what did they achieve, or what did their khilafat achieve in this world? So it clearly shows that you know they were nothing but you know so-called or self-made. You know, caliphs self-proclaimed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but true khilafat is is we're get, and we're gonna find out, you know, through our phone call a bit later on in the show how khilafat is actually is is, mm. is 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 established. So that's just something that I wanted to bring in. Wonderful. Now the the caliphate or the khilafat <coughs> after the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him was, as we know, a spiritual institution. And that was established after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The first successor was uh, Abu Bakr Siddiq. Sorry to interrupt you, but was he from the Quraysh? He He wasn't. He wasn't. Okay, okay. let's carry on. (laughs) We'll come back to that. (laughs) Then you had Hazrat Umar Farooq, may Allah be pleased with him. He succeeded uh, him and then followed by Hazrat Usman, may Allah be pleased with him. And then... Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib, may Allah be pleased with him. All of these caliphs are known as the Khulafai Rashidin, meaning the rightly guided caliphs. Um, and that is something that I think the, the majority, if not uh, all Muslims around the world, do believe and uh, accept. Now, coming to the second part that we're also going to discuss and that is the the Khilafat or the Caliphate after the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Yahudi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad on whom be peace. Now when the Promised Messiah on whom be peace passed away, 
Khilafat was established once again. This is known as the Khilafat of Ahmadiyyat, meaning Khilafat Ahmadiyya. And the first Caliph of the Promised Messiah on whom he peace was Hazrat Hakim Malwi Nuruddin, may Allah be pleased with him, at whose demise Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, became the Caliph of the community. The third Caliph was Hazrat Mirza Nasir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him who was then succeeded by Hazrat Mizat Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him, who was the fourth. And then now, currently, since 2003, we are in the era of the fifth successor and the present Caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mizat Masood Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand. Um, and in, in all of these, when we go through the 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 work that these caliphs have have undertaken what what was it that they actually achieved in their lifetime how did they do certain things i'm remembering and i'm thinking about the 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 series of of sermons that his holiness hazrat mirza masood ahmed the current caliph of the amdi muslim community is delivering on the 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 companions the 313 companions of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him right now currently when he's talking about the first caliph, Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, it crystallizes what kind of character he actually had. The love that he had for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The obedience that he showed to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, not just only during his lifetime, but also after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. If you, if you just you know read or listen to the story of how he accepted the holy prophet that that itself mm-hmm. tells you what kind of a man he was yeah so i mean p- people uh, asking for for proof people asking for um you know to, to tell us how how did you come to this conclusion of of claiming to be the prophet of god in his case the holy prophet sallallahu had to say no let me explain yeah. no 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 let me explain yeah. no no hold up a second let me explain and he said no Whatever you say is fine. I believe you. Yeah, I be- believe in you because he had known him for, yeah. for such a long. I time. believe you. I believe you. I believe you. And the Holy Prophet himself found the need to say no. Listen, hear me out first. But yeah. he said no. I don't need to hear anything. I've just I believe whatever you say, and that's why Hazrat Abu Bakr was Hazrat Abu Bakr radiAllahu anhu. Yeah. You know, you know the Sadiq, the friend of the Holy Prophet yeah, yeah. and the 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 status that he then received i mean this is the the story that we know about the migration from mecca to medina when he was accomplished uh, w- w- when he accompanied the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him in that migration and the the level of 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 love that he had for the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him and that whole story Again, if it's mentioned in the Holy Quran, it means something. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. not an insignificant event in the history of Islam. It's is one of the most changing events in in the history of Islam. Yeah. And then God Almighty thought it to be of that importance that He included that in the Holy Quran. Yeah. And so that was the level that He had. Now remember, as we said, and you know very rightly so, brother. Uh, Faiz asked me that question. Was he part of the Quraysh? No, he wasn't. Now, as we said, what the, the Quraysh were a, a, a grouping of Arab clans that historically inhabited and controlled the city of of Mecca and 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 the Kaaba, 
that uh, was a central hub of 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 not just pilgrimage but also uh, economically of uh, uh, the Arabian Peninsula at that time, and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him was born into this tribe. Now, when you are a ruling class, hmm. you, how would you say it? That you develop certain attributes, yeah. you develop certain characteristics, mm-hmm. which not always are on the positive side of things, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. So just, I think, very briefly, for, for the benefit of our listeners, despite the fact that you know they've done a lot of good for the pilgrims who came um, to, to worship the idols at that time, mm-hmm. but apart from that, to create that infrastructure to make sure that they do have the passage and, and, and everything that they need, those are some of the things that they guaranteed for those people who came to Mecca. But apart from that, the arrogance that you had in some mm-hmm. of them, especially the leaders when you really look late, at... Later it had become a business, isn't it? I- exactly. So at the time of Hazrat Abu Tal, uh, Abdul Muttalib, yeah. the grandfather of the Holy Prophet uh, they did that with pure and good intentions that we're going to you know, provide water for the pilgrimage. Yeah. Um, we're going to help them. We're going to provide accommodation for them. We're going to provide food for them. But later, when you know, the, the, let's say the next generation sort of took over before the Holy Prophet, yeah. for them it was just a business. They wanted to make money. They had raised the prices. They for them it had just become a financial, uh, you know, a mean of making money. Yeah, and that's how you see that over even over that generation of of the Quraysh, things had become different. Yeah. So maybe the prior generations, you know, people. Uh, like Hazrat Abu Talib and people before him may have had the right intentions but when the Holy Prophet was born he was born at a time where they were completely off their tracks or they had completely forgotten why they were even doing those duties which they were doing for for those people who were coming to worship the idols hence why the Holy Prophet so it was kind of like the perfect time for for God to send a prophet um, to sort of teach people uh, what their actual reason is, uh, why people need to, you know, have faith in Allah the Almighty, believe in Allah the Almighty, and uh, you know we're all children of Allah, mm. children of God, and those those members of the Quraysh family had kind of forgotten, yeah. you know, that they were children of God. Rather, they started believing that they are some sort of, you know, in one way or another, God, God themselves, yeah. and. That's where things sort of started going wrong. So asking that question again, that the Holy Prophet Sallallahu or the, the Khalifa or the Khulafa or the Caliph uh, after the demise of the uh, Holy Prophet Sallallahu had to be from Quraysh, yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be. Not and we can see that Hazrat Abu Bakr wasn't from the tribe of Quraysh. Yeah. So it kind of means that those people who... A prophet's family are those people who are not <coughs> directly his family, blood family, yeah. but they can also be people who are um, strong in 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 the me- believing the message of that prophet. Like we see the example of Prophet Noah. Yeah. His, uh, you know, he, Prophet Noah told his son, like, "Look, if you don't come into this ark with me, then you're going to drown." And he said, "No, I'm going to climb that, you know, mountain. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that," because he still was his 
physical blood family. Yeah. But he didn't survive. Right? Whereas those people who weren't his physical blood family, yeah. but they believed in the message that Hazrat Noah had brought. And they believed in Hazrat Noah being a prophet of Allah the Almighty. And they just simply obeyed him. Yeah. They all survived. And isn't that the story of, in the Holy Quran that God Almighty is telling that I will save your family. And then Prophet Noah is saying that, oh, oh God, you said that you will save my family. And here's yeah. my son who was drowning. Yeah. And I mean, we know that his wife also did not make mm. it. The reply, as you mentioned, was was that I'm not talking about your physical, physical family, yeah, yeah. your 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 son or yeah. your spirit, your 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 blood relations, basically. Exactly. But it's the it's the spiritual family yeah. that even in the case <coughs> of the Promised Messiah, so yeah. the founder of the yeah. Muslim community, the his first successor has a Mulvi Akim Nuruddin Sahib, He wasn't part of his family. He wasn't exactly. even nowhere near related yeah. to him. Yeah. But he became the first Khalifa of Ahmadiyyat. So it doesn't have to. Is I mean that article. I mean, I haven't fully read it. I've only you know sort of skimmed through it just the way you did, but or looked at it from from far distance. But yeah. I just I I I mean that I that article doesn't. It's just baseless to me. <laughs> All right, now our first guest for today, we're going to speak to a trainee imam, a life devotee of the MD Muslim community. Zishan Ahmed is with us on the line. Zishan, assalamu alaikum, peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Home Show. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah, thank you very much for joining us today, first of all. Now, as we discussed earlier, that Khilafat or Caliphate is, is, is a spiritual institution. We are talking about. Um, the 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 leader of the faithful, basically, um, who doesn't rule over a country, who doesn't rule over a dynasty, but it's the spiritual institution that we're talking about, mainly or primarily. So, what are the divine blessings associated with with this spiritual institution? <clears throat> So a brief introduction about myself. My name is Zishan Ahmad. I'm going in the third year of Jamia UK. And uh, first I'll speak on Khilafat as a spiritual institution. Sure. And then we'll carry on speaking on the blessings of Khilafat. So Allah the Almighty in the chapter 2 of the Holy Quran, He states Himself that khalifa, That I myself appoint a Khalifa in the world. So this uh, clearly shows that the hand of the Khalifa in the world today is the hand of God. And all of his actions are truly controlled by Allah the Almighty. And it also and it also shows that the promise of his, the uh, the promise of the establishment of Khilafat uh, is very uh, is clear and is unmistakable from yeah. this verse. Uh, so now speaking on the blessings of uh, Khilafat. So uh, so it's only through the blessings of this spiritual institution that Islam is going to make progress and has been making progress in the uh, during the years and uh, through the guidance of uh, huzur one can truly attain the purpose of his life yeah now you as i mentioned you you are a trainee mom you mentioned you you you're in your third year and uh, correct me if i'm wrong here but the the Jamia or the, this missionary college of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is located quite closely to the residence of His Holiness, the current Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has Masrur Ahmad may Allah strengthen his hand. As a love devotee, do you get guidance from His Holiness that that uh, you know to do certain things or on a daily basis, on a regular basis? 
And if you do, how does that guidance help you personally? Uh, yeah. So, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of God, uh, Jam is very close to the current, uh, uh, like the place of Huzur. And uh, Jamia boys uh, like have a unique and a very special bond with Khalifatul uh, Masih, and they have private mulakats, one-to-one uh, mulakats with Hazur. The audiences and during these, in meetings, yeah. So uh, d- during these mulakats, Hazur really advises everyone uh, upon their problems and weaknesses, and these little things, I believe, they make a difference and they help us as life devotees to maintain a character which people and which God wants from us. Hmm. And in today's day and age, I mean, you when you graduate in in what, like four years time, this is something that you probably, I'm guessing, will have to tell the community, will have to tell the people that uh, wherever you're sent to about the importance of of caliphate in today's day and age. In 2000, and when you graduate, what is it, 2026, 27? What what is the importance of of caliphate? Yeah. So I truly believe that a man is spiritually blind without having a Khalifa. And a person can only attain the love of God during the guidance of Khalifatul Masih and during uh, and through following the Imam of the age. Hmm. And this is the very purpose of our life, uh, to attain God of uh, Allah and do uh, the Hukuk al Wonderful. Zishan, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Wish you all the best for the next uh, years in your studies and uh, Jazakallah again, once uh, once again for, for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum. Now, um, it wasn't that far away. I mean, we, we, you know, it was just a few years back. Now that we're sitting here, it feels like it was just a few years back when we were just like when students. you will graduate in four <laughs> years. <laughs> and, you know the 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 blessings of Khilafat is uh, they're just amazing. Like yeah. especially when you're a student, you think about like, so many incidents that I mean you realize now. Yeah, having graduated and everything, but you know, I mean, maybe you, at that time you from, don't. From from my point of view, you guys were. You you were extremely blessed. Extre- I, you know, I wouldn't even call it lucky, but extremely blessed mm. that this institution, this, this missionary college, although we have so many around the world, but mm-hmm. this one specifically to to be under the direct guidance and mm. and and supervision of His Holiness, and it it didn't matter if you were in the first year or if you were yeah. in your in your seventh year, if mm-hmm, you were mm-hmm. a graduate just about to leave. Yeah, the you know the the this this importance and and the 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 love that he gave was yeah. equal for all but mm. you also saw a little bit that gradual um increase in you know him putting the responsibilities on your shoulder mm. that okay you're not a child anymore you're yeah. not you're not in your first year where you're just learning how to crawl or how to yeah. walk yeah. you're you're almost about to graduate mm. there's, there's Each got year to, that was yeah you know like uh, it's it's quite funny. Like when I was in the first year of Jamia, I I had um, I was going to see Hazur, and somebody had asked me. Somebody from like the fifth or sixth year, something like that. They asked me, you know, how do you feel? And I said, oh, I feel really happy. Yeah. I feel excited, and I'm and I can't wait to go and see him. I said, Acha, don't you don't you have like don't you have any fear or <laughs> anything like that? I said, no. You know, you know, in my innocence, I just, you know, I said, no. Um, what do you mean? 
and he said oh no maybe you just with time you'll see what you'll find out yeah. you'll see and he didn't say anything else and i was like huh? <laughs> but the year after when i was in my second year oh god I, when i was sitting outside huzur's office there was this there was this constant urge that i had to recite istighfar yeah. throughout right yeah. and somebody told me that when you go and see huzur you should um recite the prayer rabbi atkhilni mutkhalasatkin wa akhrijni mukhtarasatkin wa ja'alni min ladunka sultan nasir and i kept reciting it and then it was that moment when i realized oh i think i kind of understand what the guy <laughs> was talking about <laughs> but you you're absolutely right in the first year and the second year and then as you gradually move on there is a huge difference in the way um hazur talks to you speaks yeah, to yeah. you he talks to you accor- according to your own understanding yeah. of things and even when you when you you know when you see these uh, classes that regularly happen uh, especially in this week with hazur you'll you'll see that if a, if a small girl is asking hazur a question he will answer that question you know uh, according to according her to understand. her caliber yeah, yes but when yeah. some when when it's an ansar or somebody older um you know he'll sort of answer the question in more detail yeah. you know just to make them understand even better so having khilafat is like one of the biggest blessings that that uh, you know we have in this day and age and like you mentioned being jamia students and having having gone through uh, you know these private sittings with him or you know seeing him meeting him or him coming to jamia it's it's, it's just something that we will we'll cherish for the rest of our lives no doubt we also going to talk about how <coughs> a caliph is chosen but before we get to that i think i want to talk about something that uh, i think brother zishan mentioned that we we it without caliphate or without specifically talking about his holiness in this case as uh, a masood him the current caliph of the amdi muslim community the fifth successor to the promised messiah that we, you cannot find god what we mean by that is i mean it's not if you don't know about his holiness if you don't know about the promised messiah on whom be peace by all means we're not saying that you won't be able to find god at no, all no of course not yeah. but i think it's the knowledge that has to do with that once you know that this is a person this is a this is a man of god mm-hmm. who has this this living relationship and i think that's what it boils down to the spiritual connection that he has with god almighty everybody has yeah. a direct link to god yeah islam is not one of those religions that says that you have to go through so and so you have to be this and that no, and then no. you can no yeah. we don't believe that it's a direct link that everybody around the world any muslim in whatever corner you're sitting in you can have and it's like it's like a driving instructor yeah you don't just you know the moment you turn 18 your dad just doesn't, doesn't give you the key and so off you go and, <laughs> you, know, and you go have and fun have fun right <laughs> you go through a whole system yeah. to understand what a clutch is what accelerator is what the brake does you know how you drive you know who has the right to turn first who has the right to move first who where do you need to stop etc etc so it's just khilafat is just like a guide which teaches us normal human beings uh on how to actually link with Allah the Almighty and some of the uh you know on on how to communicate with Allah how to speak to Allah how to reach out to Allah and uh, that's something that we learn from khilafat and uh, yeah yeah now how is a caliph chosen the office of a of a khalifa or of a caliph is not like the royal family or the monarchy we observe in the last couple of days here in the UK or other parts of the world in the sense that it cannot be inherited from one's father or relatives um 
which is suggested coming back to the basis of today's show and that topic uh you know the tribe of the quraysh and, and and you know it's it's not in that form um it's a holy trust given only to a pious follower of a prophet now muslims firmly believe that it is god almighty who appoints the khalifa and as it's not just the, the belief of muslims based on the verses of the holy quran that I, he said that i will select for them i will be the one who will choose the the the, the, the you know that next or the successor so it's the people who are entrusted with you know the selecting the next khalifa that they are guided by god almighty during the, the 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 selection process and at the end the result is that the most able and 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 righteous person is then selected for the position of the khalifa now let me tell you one thing i don't believe and this is i think i can put my hand into the fire not a single khalifa you can talk about the the rightly gathered caliphs as well as the caliphs of the promised messiah who wished for that office hmm. Never. You don't wish for that office. Trust you, yeah. me. You you do not want to be <laughs> in that position. Yeah. It's not not like it's, it's a bad position, but it is just it's such a demanding mm. and 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 righteously and piously and spiritually such a yeah. top top position that it's it's almost it's very very difficult to to you know to fill those shoes yeah that's why you know it's not it's not uh, you know we're going to talk about how a khalifa is chosen in a little while but what i'd say is that fine it is us humans who choose a khalifa yeah but behind that whole game yep. the mastermind the professor yeah. is allah the almighty <laughs> the, he, hand. the hand the hand the hand is allah the almighty <laughs> and if if you know, it's, I see it's, where you went there. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, um, and if that, you know, the hand, like you just said, if that hand is not there, hmm. then you know we'll all just be ignorant people. Then you will have uh, the like. Then you will have no uh, hand. Uh, the Taliban and yeah. the so-called ISIS. Yeah, exactly. Our next guest for today is a new convert and a medical student to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Usma uh, uh, Rana is with us on the line. Assalamu alaikum, good afternoon and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam. Jazakallah for having me here. No, Jazakallah for, for your time, first of all. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, sister, I want to ask you, for you personally, I mean, you converted, if correct me if I'm wrong, but it's 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 been, what, a year almost? Roughly that's a year? Yeah. yeah. What What is the importance of, of Khilafah to you? Just, you know, jumping right into it. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, the importance of Khilafah is everything to me, absolutely everything. And I know I've only got to know about Islamic Ahmadiyya since, you know, 2020. Mm. But it's, it has changed my life just to understand that importance of mm. Khilafah. Then I, honestly, I pray that and I wish that everyone, every everyone in this world, or the Muslim Ummah knew the importance of Khilafah and what we have. It's, it's, it's magnificent. It's so, it's really, it's like, it's just not, you can't really, it's so hard to describe because mm. It's like we have we have a leader who shows us, you know, what to do in terms of the right path, the unity, the peace, everything. Um, so to me, Khilafat is 
it's, it's huge. It's huge. It's absolutely. So, for example, you know, if we have, um, uh, you know, say if we have an imam at the mosque, yeah. and then you know, the imam who's who we follow and who does namaz. If you were to go to the mosque to read five, five time namaz, there must be an imam, right? Yeah. So you'll be standing behind the imam uh, who will be like demonstration of unity among people, right? Uh, so this is. Um, so this is the this is the Holy Quran especially emphasizes the need of congregation in pra- congregational prayer because of the unity, and then because the Imam was given such an I'm just giving like you know in a, a small example of you know how important important is having Khilafat and how it changed my life. So in, because this Imam is given such so much importance that if the Imam you know falters, the entire congregation must follow his mistake. Even mm-hmm. if they know that mistake has been you know, committed, and then what better, what better instance, what better you know, um, example can be presented for the middle imam and unity in his following? So what I'm trying to say is that um, even you know, if imam is mandatory in a small mosque, then how can the whole of Muslim ummah survive without an imam? Yeah. Mm. How can we survive without a khilafat? It's so important in terms of bringing us together and bringing this Muslim ummah together. Wonderful. Um, so, Shasma, uh, every everyone that is part of the Amdi Muslim community, I mean, we all have a personal relationship with, with the khilafat of the time, with His Holiness. I mean, we spoke to Brother Zishan before, uh, who was just going through his training to become an imam. Uh, Brother Faiz mentioned some of the stories that he had. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many of them that at the top of my head I could think of. But it's always interesting for for for, for me personally as well to, to find out um, from, from someone who has started that journey, that blessed journey, just recently, how has your life changed since you since you started following, you know, His Holiness, started following the Khalifa of the time, um, and how would you, how could you describe this to someone who is not aware of that? Okay, so um, <clears throat> following when I found out about Islam Ahmadiyat last year, and knowing when I found about Hazur and Khilafat, it changed my life completely and it's really hard to actually just give one example and it's li- it's only been a year and a half since i've converted converted yeah. and i have ch- i've seen a drastic change in my life and the experience that i had i'm just going to give you like you know try and give you a few examples so sure. one of them was so I remember when I got married to my husband, my husband said to me, um, inshallah, when we both finish our medical uh, journey, inshallah, we're going to um, become what present or go somewhere, you know, inshallah, hopefully, he's really important. I said to my husband, that was when I first married, got married to my husband, so I'm still learning about Ahmadiyya. Yeah. I said to my husband, I said, mm, uh, I don't, you know, I said, you know, deep inside, I know that I'll always follow my husband, but when he said that, I was like, you know, well, I, I know about UK, I've I've been in this country all my life, going somewhere else, it's a different country, it's like, and I said, um, we'll see, we'll see about that. And the first time ever, first time ever when I met, when I went to Jalsa this year, and honestly, seeing Hazir's face, first time I've ever seen Hazir's face, it, it, 
it changed my life. Changed everything, yeah. Because, uh, you know what I said? I was like, I feel so bad. I was like, did I say to my husband, oh, we'll see. Like, <laughs> I feel like, honestly, I feel amazing. I cannot get emotional because after I've seen Jose's face, after yeah. th- that day, after Jose, I said to my husband, if you want to go tomorrow, I'll go with you tomorrow. Let's let's do your mouth work. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll do this. If Jose sent us anywhere, we'll just go. It's like, we'll just see Jose, it just changed everything. Yeah. And it, on that day, when I saw Jose for the first time, it won't. So, Hazir was supposed to come to the Legend of Murky at 12 o'clock, so for example, and I got there just 10 to 12. <laughs> and our car park was all the way down, really further back. So, for, for me to walk all the way down to come to our market to go through security would take at least like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. That means, like, you know, I would miss Hazir coming in the marquee and and I just couldn't, I got really worried and I got really sad, I got really upset and I said to my husband, am I going to miss it? And he said, like, don't worry, you, you won't miss it. And I remember like, we were, I was running from the car park to the security gate. When I came to the security gate, I literally had probably eight minutes to get to the market, do everything. Hmm. And when I came to the security line and I saw a massive queue and I just, so I got really upset in my hand. I said, Ya Allah, please help me. I do not want to see, miss Hazir. I want to see Hazir because I'm going to see him for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, honestly, God, I felt like God was holding my hand and guiding me. Mm-hmm. And I found myself, honestly, I, I was like back of the queue, which was like a, probably like 10, 15 minutes long. And I was thinking, just I just turned around and I found myself right in front of the queue. Mm. I found myself right in the front of the queue going through security. And then I went to, because I'm a new mobile, so I had to go to the newcomer murky. And I went there quickly because someone has to take me from there to the larger murky. Mm-hmm. And then someone, and then, then I needed the toilet. It was like all this, everything I had to do within like that 10 minutes. And I just almost, I felt like the almost time stopped for me. Like because how much I wanted to see yeah. Hazur, how much I wanted to see Hazur, God knows. And I quickly ran to the market. And I remember I, when I went there, I was sat at the back and they said to me, oh, this is the place reserved for us. But I wanted to see right at the front. Mm. I wanted to see Hazur from right at the front. And I went there and I felt really sad because I felt like I want to see at the front. I can't, I can't see Hazur from the back because I didn't have my glasses that day <laughs> on me as well. And then the lady said to me, like, oh, you can go at the front. So I had to run from the from the back, which I think you can imagine the markets are really yeah. big and long. Mm. I ran from there, went right at the front. And then this amazing lady, she let me sit at the front. And as soon as I sat, that's when Jose walked in. Wonderful. And I looked, honestly, there are all this could not have been possible. Could yeah. have, you could have done it within that 10 minutes. But mm-hmm. honestly, I felt like the clock has like, just stopped for me so I could see Huzur. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw Huzur, my life just, you know, for the first time I've seen I've seen so much new in his face. Yeah. And and that exactly, I think that that explains it, and that hits the hits the nail on the head. Um, we can talk about it for for ages here, but unless and yeah. un, until and unless the moment that you Somebody see that him. face mm. in, in in person, um, it, it's it's impossible for for someone to 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 think that this is not a man of God or that there's no spiritual connection mm. that he has. With, with his creator and I think that's the way that God Almighty works with with his saints with his prophets with his with his caliphs as well that he gives him that you know sister Asma you mentioned nur that light that is on their faces that shines brighter than the sun I want to thank you very much thank you so much for for your time 
Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to move on here. But Jazakallah, thank you so much for, for joining us today and for sharing that wonderful you. story with us. Hopefully you get to see him in, 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 in the private audience when he when he comes back in his Inshallah. office even closer. Jazakallah. Assalamualaikum. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Um, <laughs> when when I transferred from 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 Canada, Canada to to the UK, it's it's a huge change in your environment. Mm. And look, I I went from 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 Germany when I went to Canada. It was it was a big change, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I it I didn't feel it as much as I felt when 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 I came to to the UK. Mm-hmm. And you you start to question some mm-hmm. of the decisions that you make, mm-hmm. right? So, and at the end of the day, you think, oh, what was it was it such a good step? Mm. I'm not sure if that was a, such a good decision to make. Um, and then I remember it was my turn for 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 the mulakat, meaning the the audience, the private audience, the the meeting that you have with His Holiness. And it was as Sister Osma mentioned: you walk into the room. And Blank. all doubts, they go flying out the window. Mm, yeah. And you think to yourself, this is the best decision that you could have made. Mm. And I thought to myself, how could you even think mm. that it, it wasn't a good decision? Sometimes you go there with two options. Yeah. And be like, oh, this is like kind of the option one I was thinking yeah. of. And this is kind of like the option two. And then he'll give you option three. Yeah. And you'll think, raw like that's something, <laughs> <laughs> that's something I didn't even think about. Or the fires just no. came from the streets. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. To put you it know in, what into I mean, those right? words, I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's just like something incredible. Yeah. You know, he would just say something so, so simple yeah. that you know we, we didn't even think about. An option that wasn't even in our plan, yeah. wasn't even in our mind. It didn't even cross our mind, but he's put that, you know, on the table for us. And uh, and then the second part is when you actually uh, listen to the instruction that he's given you or the guidance that he's given you, and you follow that guidance. And then you know, like you said, you all the doubts go away yeah. on the very day. But when you when you start to follow the instruction or the guidance that we you get from Hazur, then you see so many blessings within it. Uh, or so many blessings that come with it yeah. um, that sort of change your life and boost your iman, your faith, uh, you know, all the way up. And that goes back to what we were talking about before we spoke to Sister Asma, the election of, of that caliph. Mm-hmm. The election itself, as you mentioned, um, it, it's, it's done by, in our case, the members of the community. Going yeah. back to the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, it was the companions, the close companions, yeah. who were there at the time of the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who then elected Hazrat Abu, Abu Bakr, Bakr to be. Yeah. And the basis of that election, again, was the righteousness, the piety, mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. spiritual um, uh, you know, qualities that Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah, uh, may, may Allah be pleased with him, had at that time. Yeah. And we see that again with the, with the second caliph, with the third caliph, with the fourth caliph. All of them, they displayed these spiritual qualities, these, yeah. these attributes that the believers needed to look up to yeah. in order to, to, to maintain that relationship with, with God Almighty. Yeah. But then again, according to the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that caliphate, that rightly guided caliphate was to last for a certain period of time. What was it, 23 years or something like mm-hmm, that? Mm-hmm. 
And then after that, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, be upon him, described, okay, this will happen, that will happen, mm-hmm. this will happen, mm-hmm. that And then at the end, he mentioned the time of, you know, the latter days, the time of the promised Messiah. And then he mentioned that the, the, the Khilafat or the Caliphate on the precepts of prophethood. prophethood. Yeah. So he explained again that you will have a prophet in the, at the end of the day, uh, you know, in the latter days. And then that will be followed by... Now all of these things that we're mentioning, we're not. It's not. It's not uh, people worship. We don't worship the 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 caliph of of the Amdi Muslim community, or we don't worship any caliph for that matter. It's the connection that he has, and the the way that he shows how to build the connection. As you mentioned, the example of the driving instructor with God Almighty that we. That we cherish, mm-hmm. that 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 is the greatest blessing mm-hmm. for us. If you look, and you ask the question that what are you getting out of it? We any anything we like. I have this phone in front of me. I have this computer in front of me. What do you get out of it by having that phone, by having that laptop, by drinking that coffee? So we want to know about the benefits for us. When we take a look at, and then this is my personal, pers- you know, um, <clears throat> way to look at it. Yeah. It's, I we 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 know about God, theoretically, yeah. right? We 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 read about him in books. We 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 heard stories and and whatnot, and we know for a fact that there is a God. We might even had uh, some sort of experience, some sort of dreams, or some sort of experience at one point in our life where we thought. Hmm, that's interesting. That 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 is a bit strange to explain. So I'm I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, there has to be a god. But when you look at people like a caliph, in our case, when we have his holiness, it's not one example. Yeah, it's not two. We're talking about millions of people writing to him on a daily basis, basis yeah. and saying and asking for prayers that we have this issue, we have that issue. Um, can you pray for us? And again, if you were to start listing those things, we could go on for another two hours talking about the prayers that have been answered, the prayers that have been heard, the parents that have been granted children who had absolutely nothing Mm -hmm. based on the prayers of His Holiness. And again, we're not worshipping that person. No. We're celebrating, we're, we're talking about the blessings of that relationship that He has with our Creator, yeah, and the acceptance of prayer is probably the greatest proof of the truthfulness of of, of a caliph. Sometimes you don't even have to wait for a reply. No, <laughs> the process starts. I'm telling you, the, I I know for this Same. is my personal example, my personal story, and it was not a small incident. It was a life changing incident for me. Mm-hmm. It was a turning point in my life where I think if if it hadn't worked at that time things would have been different. Yeah. That's for sure. I can mm-hmm. 100% guarantee that. And he that letter did not reach him. I then know it didn't reach him because it wasn't sent. Yeah. And, but at the same time, the, you know, God's factory started working and, yeah. and, and things were put in place. So, it, I mean, it's... it's no, you, I know exactly you will probably It's happened to me. It's yeah, happened to yeah. me in the same way. I was just about, you know, I, I hadn't finished typing my letter. Yeah. And I was just at the end where you just say, where you write your name, you know. And uh, I was just about to print it and I got a phone call. And the phone call was regarding what I was yeah. writing to Azur. 
and the person on the phone said that it's yeah, done. It's done. So then I had to write. I had to further write a little note at the end of the letter that Hazur, uh, as I was just about to print this letter, I received the phone call and, yeah. and the content that I've just mentioned above. It's so already been yeah. done. So Jazakallah for your prayers. The second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazim is Abshiruddin Mahmud Ahmad. May Allah be pleased with him and the son of the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community. He writes that God Almighty does everything through wisdom and foresight. And there is always a good reason and logic behind it. According to nature's physical law, man has only a limited lifespan. But the task of reformation and training of society requires a much longer time. So Allah has established the system of Khilafat after the system of prophethood. The Khalifa continues and carries on the task of the Prophet. The seed sown by the Prophet is protected and nurtured by the Khalifa till it becomes a strong and sturdy tree. It shows that in fact Khilafat is an offshoot or branch of the system of prophethood. And that is why the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, says that after every Prophet, the system of Khilafat is established. And then... We move on and coming, unfortunately, to the end of today's program. We want to finish off with an encouragement. We want to finish off um, by telling you, if you don't know about it, if you've heard about the the, the caliphates that we've mentioned in the beginning about uh, ISIS and this and that and all of these fearful institutions of religion, of the Islamic religion specifically, then look into the rightly or look into the caliph of of uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, a caliph who lives right here in the heart of the Sari countryside, um, a caliph who preaches nothing but love for all and hatred for none, who is an inspiration for hundreds and thousands and millions of youths, who we don't have a single single case of um, radicalization within the community based on the guidance of His Holiness. And who is not ashamed of telling the world what is right and what is wrong. The turbulent times that we are going through, you, you, we need a leader who tells us that spiritually speaking, this is what we need to do. If we want to be saved from the you know, pending world war, God forbid, then we have to make that creation, that connection with our creator. And none of this has to do with the family that you belong to or the tribe that you come from. Today's program was researched and produced by Zainab Fatima and Sabiha Tariq. Thank you very much to them and thank you very much to you for listening. We're going to be back with you on Monday, inshallah, from all of us. Assalamu alaikum.